Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain here with my good friend, comic Dave Smith. Thanks uh, for taking the time today. We have, uh, you know, I always like to go to the opposite well. And uh, for the anti-war screed, it's always great to go to the comic. And uh, (laughs) thanks for taking the time today. Do you want to just mention to people what you're up to these days and how and where to find you? Oh, um, I've, uh, you know, I, I'm still doing the same thing. Part of the problem podcast, you can get it at gas digital network or iTunes, Google, any of that stuff and, uh, working on the next, uh, hour special. Um, so I'm, I'm torn around. You can find my stuff at, uh, um, you follow me on Twitter at comic Dave Smith. I'm still waiting for my invitation to to burst out from the birthday cake, but I'm sure it just got uh, spam binned. Now I have been, of course, following you for a while and your rants are the stuff of legend. And I thought, you know, I did a whole live stream yesterday about this whole endless war stuff that's going on at the moment. And, you know, I'm not sure we're quite on the brink of falling into the fiery pit of World War Three, but it does sort of feel like things are heating up. And I guess I wanted a little bit more than two days of the new decade to enjoy some peace dividend. And uh, have you been following? I know you have. And what are your thoughts on what's been going on recently in uh, in Iraq? Um, well, yeah, I, I've, I've been following it pretty carefully and I, I agree with your assessment. I, I watched your live stream from last night and I thought you were spot on as usual. Um, and, uh, it, sure, it doesn't seem like we're definitely about to go into a world war or a hot war with Iran. Um, but the possibilities are very dangerous. Of course, uh, I know you've done, uh, uh, very in-depth videos on and podcasts on this stuff before, but World War One started, you know, with a political assassination. And right now you have a situation where this is something kind of unprecedented. This was one of, one of the highest ranking members of the Iranian government who was just assassinated by the Americans, an act of war if ever there was one. And certainly if, you know, if, uh, Mike Pompeo or Mike Pence were assassinated by the Iranians, nobody here would be questioned questioning whether or not that was an act of war. You have uh, a, a situation in Syria where the countries that have been involved either directly in the country or sending in weapons uh, on one side or the other have been the United States of America, Saudi Arabia, Israel, Turkey on one side. On the other side, you have uh, Assad, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Assad's army, uh, the Syrian government. You have uh, um, Russia, Iran. There's a lot of players. I might have forgotten some. There's a lot of players involved here. And it's not that crazy that these things could get out of control. So the the fear of of a hot war, a a real war, a, a world war is very, very real and terrifying. So it's it's worth talking about. You know, and it's funny, too, because I feel I've never really been addicted to anything but i have sort of understood that addiction is kind of a lifelong thing and you can remove yourself from the stimuli but uh it's still going to come up like an old ache or a war wound or something because i grew up on a steady diet of pro-war propaganda in england with the great glorious battle of britain and uh, england's finest hour and all that kind of stuff and you know it's funny because i've now been a voluntarist anarchist libertarian for many many decades and very skeptical of war as another giant government program wars the health of the state and all that but oh man dave i gotta tell you when it's like yeah we got some we nuked the bad guy and there's part of me of this like sky fire column of god's finger of justice doom on the evildoers and so on and it's like well i haven't had a drink in 30 years i watched one beer commercial and i'm like salivating like niagara down my drippy middle-aged chin and it feels weird to have that level of deep propaganda where i find myself positively positively responding 
to the hammer of the gods justice scenario, even though I know that's not really what's going on. And it's right. like, damn it. Oh, my God. It's like, I can't unlearn this first language. Well, the, when I had that uh, my, at my worst was um, right after 9-11 and where I, I was like a couple miles away from from the towers when when the, uh, you know, Al Qaeda hit us on 9-11. And when when George W. Bush came to New York and said, I just want you to know, I hear you. Washington hears you. And pretty sh- and pretty soon the guys who knocked these towers down, they're going to hear you, too. I mean, I was like, let's go get them. You messed with the wrong guys and, you know, like that you messed with the most powerful military ever and we're going to destroy you. And I, I was all gung ho and ready to go. And um, and this is before I really knew anything really of the, the you know, of libertarianism or anti-war, you know, the anti-war history. But I think what people need to understand is, well, look, I would I would say it this way, starting with the philosophical and then into what's really going on here. Number one, and I think you made this point very well on, on your live stream last night, like you are not your government. You are not your government in the same way that um, Justin Trudeau does not represent Stefan Molyneux and no sane person would ever think, oh, yeah, that's same thing. Those guys, you, you are not your government. And what the United States of America's federal government is, is it's not a democracy and it's damn sure not a republic. Um, and and if it was a democracy, you know what? I think we would have a wall built by now. We would have had, you know, a, a whole that we'd be out of all of these wars because that's what the, what the American people vote for every time they get a chance to. Um, what our government is in actuality is uh, there's the democratically elected leaders who are kind of the show of it. And then there is the deep state. And this is what, you know, Donald Trump has been up against for the last three years. Um, there, there is the, the, the CIA uh, who is, which is where all of this stuff really started for Donald Trump, the investigation that what, what got thrown over to the FBI, what led to the Mueller investigation. You had John Brennan, the former director of the CIA, you know, he was coming out two weeks before the Mueller investigation telling you, you were going to see indictments. You were going to see Donald Trump and his family hauled off to jail. You were going to see them all arrested, um, uh, over a conspiracy with the Russians that he knew, he knew wasn't, was not true because, because, uh, um, you know, uh, the, the whole he knew the whole Steele report was was bogus more than anybody else because Carter Page was a CIA source while he was the director of the CIA. So they knew this guy wasn't a Russian uh, agent. They knew Donald Trump was in, not involved in a conspiracy. What is what is the simple answer here? They're lying to you. They are lying to you. And they've been lying to you about every last one of these wars. It, it, you know, you can go way back, but just in the post 9-11 wars, they lied to us about uh, Iraq. We just found out from the Afghanistan papers. They lied to us about the war in Afghanistan. They lied about Muammar Gaddafi. They lied about Bashar al-Assad. Go look at the whistleblower uh, uh, stuff that just came out this last year, these chemical attacks that never took place. Um, they they are lying, and they've been lying to you about Iran this entire time. And I would just say one other thing that what happens is if you are on if you are on the right wing or let's just say not left wing to to be more accurate if you're not left wing and you are against the empire you are not allowed in polite society Hmm. that's the way these things work and it's worked that way for a long time and that's by the way that's what we are we're not a democracy we're not a republic we are an empire and if you're against the empire kind of but you're on the left and you're ridiculous. You can kind of be allowed in. Like Michael Moore could be, you know, if you're like a fat communist hypocrite, you could be allowed in as the voice of I kind of oppose the empire, that Rose McGowan lady or someone like that. That can be allowed in. More serious people on the left who are uh, against the empire don't get, you know, 
allowed in either. But right wingers who oppose the empire are always branded as racist. All of them. Well, Pat Buchanan or Ron Paul, if it's you, if it's me, we all hear this term racist. Now it's moved to like white nationalist or because racist wasn't working as well. But that's you get. And what what is Trump's crime really? What was his crime really? Is it that he's racist? Is that is that why the CIA hates Donald Trump? Is that why the people who will who will blow up brown babies and starve them to death? hate Donald Trump because he's racist. What Donald Trump did that was the reason why the CIA was out to get him from the beginning is that he opposed the empire. That was his crime. He opposed the empire. And anybody else who does that will be demonized. These are all wars based off lies. They've been lying to you about Iran for decades. My entire life they've been lying about Iran. And um, and and what they what they don't want is somebody who's on uh, uh, not a left winger crazy person who's telling you we should not be an empire. Those people aren't allowed in. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're not going to see Noam Chomsky on CNN anytime soon. And he's actually talked about this quite explicitly because he's a, you know, a lot I disagree with him, but his analysis, the left wing analysis of empire is usually spot on and, and really can't be allowed. And, you know, that's a funny thing. I've really been thinking lately, Dave, just about how our sort of instinctual tribal natures have not adjusted to the nation state. And it really struck me when you were talking about your government is not you because you know, when we were tribes of 30 to 50 people, you know, maybe 100 people, yeah, you were kind of identified with the whole community. And an attack upon your leaders was definitely going to be an attack upon you. Everything was local. Spears were in your face, uh, swords in, were in your face, arrows were raining down from above. And so your tribe kind of was you and our identification with this collective hive mind made a lot more sense when we were in smaller tribes. But you end up being a piece of tax livestock on a geographical tax farm it's a little tough to recognize just how infinitely far your leaders are from your own interests. You know, and I was talking about this $5 trillion been spent on the war on terror while terrorism has massively escalated and skyrocketed worldwide. $5 trillion. You know, there are junkies who will kill you for 20 bucks. Yeah. And you got to think about $5 trillion has been spent and the opposite of the goal has been achieved. It's a government program that's kind of inevitable. What will people do for $5 trillion? Will they call you a racist? Well, of course they will, right? Because, you know, you're, you and I are, are racist because we just want fewer brown people to be bombed into oblivion. You know, it, it's it's literally the If people had listened to us, right, I mean, hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions of non-whites would be alive and breathing and enjoying their lives and enjoying their families and enjoying their places of worship and all kinds of things, which would make me a much happier person. But they care about the $5 trillion and they also care about – I think that there is this overarching sadism that, that goes on, this, this power of life and death that corrupts people that you can – and I'm not talking about Trump here because we can sort of get to that. But I'm talking about the general military-industrial complex. You know, I can't imagine what it's like to wake up in the morning and know you can push a button and destroy people. Like that is a level of power that is so – staggering you know it's been those of us trying to sort of hang on by the skin of her teeth to social media is like i can't imagine having that kind of power and what it might do to someone to have that kind of power and and even more terrifying who would want it yeah well and also i mean like you do you you can kind of like when you mentioned with the social media stuff you can kind of gauge it through like a little bit of what you have like the fact that you have you know have like 
millions and millions of downloads on your show. You get a little bit of a feeling from that, like, oh, I really have like a big influence in a lot of people's lives. And that feels really nice, you know, especially if you're really proud of something you did. So like just multiply that by, you know, a, a billion. And you see it when Hillary Clinton's going, we came, we saw he's dead and bursts out into laughter right after. Like she is drunk on her own power. And, and I absolutely agree with you. That's a major force. Now, to what you were talking about with people um, you know, the, the mentality that you're, you're kind of attacking my tribe or it's an attack on me and my people. Well, another thing that facilitates that or, or accelerates that feeling is that for a lot of these left wing crazy people, they are doing that. They are telling you that America is terrible. America is to blame for everything. You are, you know, it's your white privilege or you're the reason why Africa is bad at all is because white people made it bad. The reason why any minority fails in America is because white people did that to them. Like they do feed into that. But then there's other serious people who aren't saying that. There's there's people like yourself, like I said before, Pat Buchanan. This isn't some lefty. This isn't some some crazy person. These are serious people who are saying, no, listen. I'm not telling you that the nation, right? Forget the state. The nation of America is bad. I love the nation of America. I love the country. I hate the government. It's a different thing. And if you, if you have some, the, um, a conflict between, like you were addressing this on your live stream the other day. It's not to say that Iran treats their people well or okay. They don't. It's horrible. It's not to say that the average IQ in Iran is the exact same as the average IQ in America. It's not. It's not that their culture is as good as ours. None of those things are true. But it's like if you had two guys who got into a fight at a bar um, and one of them walked over and just punched the other guy at the bar and then a fight breaks out and that's how the fight started. And you were to say, well, yeah, but, you know, like a cop comes and they're trying to solve the crime. And you were to say, yeah, but the guy who threw the first punch, you know, he's really nice to his wife. And his kids and this other guy who got punched, he's pretty crappy to his wife, never goes to his kids baseball game, you know, is really bad. Wouldn't you be like, yeah, but that's not really the issue here. The issue with this event at the bar, this fight is who was the aggressor? That's the issue. And if you're talking about foreign policy between the United States and Iran, the question is, who is the aggressor? And that is obviously the United States of America's federal government. And it's not just, you know, like your local representative. It is the deep state. It is the CIA. It is the same people who have been trying to unseat the duly elected president for the last two years, even before he was elected. They were they were trying to uh, take down his his candidacy. Those are the people. They are the aggressors in this situation from overthrowing the elected government in 1953 all the way to present day. They have been the aggressors in this situation. I, I said to one person on Twitter the other day where they were arguing with me about whether or not they're the aggressors. And it's as simple as, you know, the example you've used that we've all used a million times. Just put the shoe on the other foot. Just tell me that uh, Iran overthrew a democratically elected government here and propped up a dictator. And then when we take our country back, they invade Canada and Mexico. And then they lie for years saying we have weapons that we don't have that, you know, my entire life since the, the late 80s. I remember, you know, they're, they're three years away from the nuke. It's all, all was all lies. And then they're saying and, and by the way, that was the justification for invading Canada. Was was that we had these weapons that they didn't have either. And now they're saying we have them. I mean, come on. Who's who's the aggressor here? And it's the United States of America uh, federal government. Those are the aggressors. That's what matters in this conflict. Well, and the um, the basic fact when people say it's an attack, an attack on an embassy is an act of war. It's like, OK, I, I mean, I get that justification. I, I understand that, you know, but the question is, why is there such a giant expensive embassy there? Because America invaded Iraq. 
Now, one contractor got killed, some people got wounded. That's very bad. And my heart goes out to the family members and all of that. But we're talking hundreds of thousands of Iraqis. And that's direct deaths, indirect deaths from uh, the, the destruction of the medical system, the destruction of the uh, the sewage and clean water system, the destruction of the general infrastructure that keeps us alive. I mean, you have a power outage and it's like, oh, my God, I can't recharge my tablet. It's the end of the world. I might lose 50 bucks worth of groceries. How about you have your entire electrical grid knocked out for years? How about you can't get clean water? How about you're wandering through the rubble where radioactive weapons have been used that is corrupting your very DNA to the point where you give kids uh, genetic problems for for generations? I mean, we're not just talking Agent Orange in in, uh, uh, in uh, Vietnam, but we're talking about the uh, depleted weapons that have been used in Fallujah and other places. And that view from outside the empire, it's really not transmitted to people inside the empire. I mean, the government is really two-faced. So the government at home is restrained by the Constitution and the Bill of Rights to a large degree. My God, do you see the true face of the government when it's out there wondering the interstellar amorality of international conflicts. That's where the mask comes off. And yeah. I think it's also partly a warning to, to Americans. It's like, yeah, you know, you can have some freedoms because they're kind of productive. They generate revenue for us when you can choose your own jobs and all that. But, you know, what we did to Fallujah... That's what we're capable of. So maybe you want to stay in line a little bit there, people. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, it's like if somebody was, uh, um, you know, if, if there was somebody who you knew was like abusing children, would you trust them to babysit your kid? I mean, if they're just like, well, no, we don't treat your kid that way. We only treat other people's kids that way. I think I would go, no, you know what? If you've ever abused a child in your life, you're not getting anywhere near my kid. And that is, you know, they, they may not. And, and to be fair, they they do abuse many people, you know, within our, our own government. They're just not as bad because they can't get away with it. Um, but, you know, there's what is it, 50,000 SWAT raids a year. Many of them don't end up finding anything. If you're that person who was in that home when a SWAT team burst in and shot your dog and tra traumatized your kid, that's pretty damn totalitarian for for that person. Um, but but yeah, of course, look. And, and the other thing is that I'm not spinning some leftist fairy tale like everything in the Middle East would be wonderful if it wasn't for America intervening. I, I'm not suggesting that at all. But it is unquestionably made the situation worse than it would have been. And all of this is a result, like like all government programs, we're cleaning up the mess of the last intervention. And the, the this is, you know, you could blame a lot of people for this. But really, the current situation, if we're going to start, you know, somewhat recently, this is George W. Bush's fault. That That's who's to be blamed for this. George W. Bush and the neocons in their crazy foreign policy when they decided after 9-11 that these, uh, you know, these Sunni radicals had had uh, attacked us. And therefore, we were going to use this as an excuse to overthrow every secular dictator we could get our hands on in the Middle East. And we overthrew uh, Saddam Hussein based off lies. Everybody knows that at this point, all based off lies, started this war that, as you were saying, killed so many people and handed uh, Iranian influence uh, in the region right to Iran. It was a gift to Iran. All the predictions about how, you know the democracy would sweep the region or they would embrace Jeffersonian, you know, Republicanism. This, this was all craziness. And we, we put the, the Shiite government, by the way, all these people that we're fighting right now, we fought the Iraq war for them. We gave them the government. Okay. And, and then around 2006, uh, 2007, they, they started what's was dubbed the redirect where they basically decided, you know, 
we've really given Iran all this influence in the region, and Iran is the enemy of some of our allies, you know, um, who we have to fight these wars for. And uh, so we've got to now redirect and, and switch back to trying to, to stomp out the, the Shiite influence in the region. And this was why we went after uh, Bashar al-Assad. It had nothing to do with him killing his own people. It was, that was in response to, to the start of that civil war. And the, the most important detail to all of this is that, you know, what, what Barack Obama did and Barack Obama just picked up the ball from George W. Bush and continued uh, these, these horrible policies. What Barack Obama did was treason. He committed treason. That, that term gets thrown around a lot. Um, you know, like John Brennan said, Donald Trump committed treason by speaking to Vladimir Putin and criticizing the CIA because it really shows you who works for who in that equation. Um, and then to be fair, also what I'm more sympathetic with, what a lot of people have accused the deep state of treason um, uh, in trying to, you know, what we've had for the last three years has been an attempted deep state coup against the duly elected president. And while I sympathize with them, and it is certainly wrong uh, and, and a crime against the country to do that. It is not technically by the letter of the law treason, but what Barack Obama and John Brennan did in Syria was treason with a capital T. They knowingly armed Al Qaeda in order to put pressure on Assad. So they they knowingly armed uh, uh, Al Qaeda and when they became ISIS, th this is how they got their weapons. This is how they rose up the worst of the worst. And we supported them for strategic reasons. And you can actually hear John Kerry on a, on a secret tape uh, being recorded talking about this stuff. So that's that's what we did. And this was all to put pressure on Iran. Um, and, uh, um, and now then, then they went into Iraq and Obama had to go back into Iraq to fight ISIS cause they didn't really follow the plan and they started killing a bunch of journalists and, and stuff in, in Iraq. And, um, and then we were fighting on the side of the Shiites again. So ju just this recently we were fighting a, a war on the side of these people who were now killing over there. It's, it's so the, the foreign policy, it's, you couldn't even put this in a novel because they would be like, this is too ridiculous and confusing that you're fighting on both sides of this conflict, just killing people and making the situation worse. Well, it's a funny thing. So I, I'm always fascinated by the di dichotomy between art and life. So I did a show not too long ago on crime and punishment. I know this sounds like a real non sequitur, but I'll, I'll, I'll loop back and, and we'll, we'll get there. And uh, I've been watching uh, – um, I'm a big fan of Reese Witherspoon because, you know, like forehead to forehead, it's just the way we communicate. <laughs> uh, and uh, she's on a show called called Big Little Lies and, you know, spoiler, there's, there's a crime and these women are and, – and they feel guilty and Raskolnikov in Crime and Punishment feels guilty. And there's a – I played Macbeth when I was younger who kills a king and can't sleep because he feels guilty. And that's sort of how things work in novels. It's this big – you know, boy, you know, you, you'll sleep no more and, and, and you'll, you'll, your relationships will be destroyed, right? And this capacity to, to feel guilt at wrongdoing, to feel bad, to have a conscience, to have empathy, to have self-reflection and so on. My God, what a load of bullshit fiction that is for the elites. Yeah. You know, I couldn't help but, but str be struck. The two little stories pop in about George. Uh, Bush the younger, right? So one is, uh, he, he loves, he's, he's on some Air Force One, or he's, he's, and he's showing people, here, here are the paintings I, I did, I got them on my iPad, you know, and look at these lovely little paintings that I, like, okay, it's great that you're painting things, but you really painted the Middle East with the blood of the innocent, you know, I mean, there, there are oopsies like, oh man, you know, I, I, I had a bit of echo on my live stream, and then there's oopsies like, holy shit, I killed half a million people. And, and there's nothing. And what is it more recently, uh, Ellen 
uh, DeGeneres was like at some sports event and she took a selfie with George Bush, you know, just, just smiling. She's like, I mean, have a little selfie. Isn't that cute? Like that weird thing at the, at the Hollywood Oscars, right? And he's not showing up as Macbeth. He's not like, oh man, I can't sleep. I, I can't believe I started this war. You know, I, I it, it's cost, you know, trillions of dollars and, and, and hundreds of thousands of lives. It's destabilized the region and it's based on a lie and, and uh, like, there's hey i'm at a ball game take me out i'll take a hot dog and beer and it's like holy shit these people are are not not like us like holy shit are these people not like us like foreign to any realm of human decency and empathy strangers in a strange land aliens among us you name it and they're the ones who have the power and we're the ones who have to give them money and it's like i think when people get that you got to be skeptical of everything. Well, and and this and it, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, look, this this is a system where sociopaths rise up to the top. Like, mm. n- not exaggerating, murderous sociopaths. And why do you think Bernie Sanders is not allowed in? It's it's not why why is the DNC cheating and they and he gets kind of the Ron Paul treatment on TV where they'll be like, well, the poll has Joe Biden in first place and Elizabeth Warren in third. And you're like, wait, what, who who was second in that poll? Why why wasn't Bernie Sanders? Well, it's not Bernie Sanders isn't there's none of his policies that are really um like that out of the statist mainstream. I mean, I know he calls himself a socialist, so so what he believes in Medicare for all and the Republicans believe in Medicare for old and poor. Okay, so he wants it a little bit bigger than they do. It's not really such a contrast as they would, you know, make it out to be. The problem with Bernie Sanders is that he's not a killer. And I think they're not sure that he would be a killer. And this was the problem with Ron Paul, too. They know he's not going to pass through repealing entitlement programs. That, that's the problem with him. He's clearly not a killer. He's not going to go on board with killing with, with mass killing campaigns. He might actually have a conscience about that stuff. And as I said before, the problem with Donald Trump, and he comes at it because Trump is such a unique figure. He comes at it from a different point of view. What I think Donald Trump sees is – and, and this is what he always ran on, is he comes at it like from this instinctual businessman point of view. And Donald Trump has never been somebody who you're like, well, he's obviously a really, really deep thinker who's read all of the, you know, like like who really has read all of the briefings and understands and has read like philosophy and really has read. No, he's we, an we can generalize that guy. to pretty much anybody with a reality TV show or sure. you know a game show, which you know, like The Apprentice. Anybody, you know, no no offense to the Kardashians, but you know we're not going to put them up Praetorian scholar ranks. Yes, no, but what Donald Trump does have is like these genius level instincts. Like, it, it's really, he's an incredible human being. I mean, look, just, you know, is a guy who was, you know, became the most famous real estate developer ever, ran a billion dollar business, wrote one of the most popular books ever, had the number one show on television, then dipped his toe into politics for the first time ever and became president of the United States of America. It's like, there's something about this guy. It's so funny when, when anti-Trump left-wingers are just like, he's stupid. You know, it's like just dismiss him with that. It's like, did you did you listen to that track record? I mean, there's something going on here. And what Donald Trump saw immediately was he just goes what the it, his version of the point that you were making on your last show because empires a losing business. This is this is bad business. We're spending trillions of dollars over there, and it's just make killing people and making the situation worse. I got a business idea. If you just took over a company and saw that, you'd go, yeah, we're cutting that program. This program doesn't make any sense. It's that simple. Oh, what is he looks at NATO and he goes, wait, so we're, you know, 20 plus trillion in debt and we're subsidizing 
the defense of rich countries? No. No, we shouldn't be doing that. That's stupid. This is stupid business. So he just very instinctually grasps these things. But what is – again, the crime is not that he's separating children from their families. J- John Brennan doesn't care about separating children from their families, okay? He's separated hundreds of thousands of them from their families. The crime is that he is questioning the empire, and you're not allowed to do that. That's the whole business of being in an empire. You can never question whether we're allowed. And by the way, has anyone ever given a good answer of why we have to subsidize the defense of rich countries in Europe? No, there is no answer. There's no answer. It's or, just- or why why U.S. commandos are in 75% of the world's countries and why there are 800 military bases and why the fuck, excuse my French, why the fuck is America still in Germany and Japan more than 70 years after the end of World War II, because of the Benjamins and because of the power. Right. And, and it only once you understand that, the, that it's an empire, everything starts to make sense. Then you understand it. And then you start to even realize that their language is in some way correct. Like it, it's almost like if, if you you know, when people say um, I, and I mean, correct from their flawed perspective. But it's like if people if you granted that the state uh, owned all of us. If you if you grant it like like from some first acquisition of property or something like that, that the state owned the entire country. Well, then they're really not as criminal an organization as you would think of. Like if, if you grant that we're slaves and they're rulers, well, then from that perspective, well, sure, then. OK, so, yeah, you get they get to charge us rent for being here. But, you know, of course, that's that's granting something I don't want to. But if you grant the empire, then all of a sudden what they're saying clicks. It's like they say Iran is a threat. Well, any normal human being, you'd be like, Iran? How could you argue that Iran is a threat to the United States of America? I mean, I remember Ron Paul in the presidential debates used to say this. He's like, you know, we're talking about – they'd be like, well, what if Iran nuked us tomorrow? Then what would you do? And he goes, you know, you're talking about a weapon that they don't have with an air force that doesn't have the capability to deliver the weapon even if they had the weapon. So, like, what are we talking about here? The idea to any normal person that Iran is a threat to the United States of America is crazy. But – They are in some ways a threat to the empire. They're a threat to our ability to have complete control of that region in the same way Russia is a threat, in the same way Hezbollah is a threat to Israel's ability to occupy southern Lebanon. I mean, they are actually a threat to Israel's ability to occupy southern Lebanon. They they ran them out of there. So, no, they're not a real threat to anything else. But in that, if you look at things from that angle, that that's where it makes sense to all of these elite sociopaths. So it's like, yeah, you're not allowed to be a threat. Well, there is also the hornet's nest argument as well, that when you have a panicked population, they'll hand over their rights in return for an illusory security. I mean, if you, you couldn't get the Patriot Act without 9-11, you couldn't get the mass surveillance without the war on terror and so on. And so you say, oh, well, the big danger is, um, what was it? Uh, Condoleezza Rice said, we don't want the uh, smoking gun to be in the form of a mushroom cloud like Saddam Hussein had any capacity to nuke a, an American city or would. But the reality is, and I talked about this recently, just in terms of the blowback potential is absolutely staggering. You cannot have over 170 million foreigners visiting the U.S. every year, importing a million people from all over the world, very little vetting going on of any kind, and be constantly out there provoking everyone. Because sure, I mean, Iran cannot fly a uh, fat boy style bomb over an American city. But 
uh, you, you poke that hornet's nest enough and there are six million different ways from Sunday that they can make Amer- the life in America extraordinarily difficult and very short for a lot of people. And I'm not even going to go into the details. Everybody knows that. But then, of course, so then what happens if there's going to be some blowback as there will be inevitably what's going to happen? Well, oh, my gosh, they got through. Sorry about your rights, but, you know, we're going to have to shave them back just a little bit or maybe a whole lot just to keep you safe. And it's like, well, you're the guys who kind of put us in danger by provoking this hornet's nest. And you're the guys who keep obeying what the terrorists want. I mean, the terrorists, I mean, the 9-11 terrorists are very clear, as I've talked about before, very clear about what they wanted. They wanted to draw the U.S. into a Middle Eastern conflict so they could get access to American troops and harm them. And they also wanted to bleed the treasury dry and destroy the empire uh, fiscally, which they're um, certainly on the route to doing. So maybe if you guys didn't do exactly what the enemies wanted on a continual basis, that would be a pretty good start because they gave you a menu of everything they wanted to cook and you slapped on a chef recipe and said let's go let's get to town let's do exactly what they want because it's not about protection it's about power and it's about uh, sadism yeah I, look there's so many good points that you just made there you're absolutely right and and the the thing is that they take it as of course we're doing exactly what osama bin laden wanted to provoke us into that's what all of this is and the the, the justification right like the the reason why we can never leave afghanistan is that well I mean, the lesson of 9-11 from their perspective is that if you're not in Afghanistan, that's where they're going to plot the next 9-11, as if there's something magical about Afghanistan that you can just plot attacks there so that that's where they'll go. Um, But the lesson of 9-11 was none of that. They didn't even plot 9-11 in Afghanistan. They plotted it in Germany and they got in through visas. It was an immigration issue from the very beginning. And so you're absolutely right. Of course, the entire um, flooding of, of migrants into Europe is all because of these wars. It's all because we destabilize these regions. I mean, it doesn't help that there's like a problem with radical Islam and it doesn't help that there's a welfare state in Europe. But both of those things existed long before any of these these huge migrant crises happened. It, it's when we destabilize the region, particularly as you've done great work on overthrowing Muammar Gaddafi. Um, but so this is so all of this was uh, was is very, very related. Um, and the other thing w- that you were talking about before that I just thought about mentioning, which is really there's two clips that I've played several times on my podcast uh, when you're talking about the, you know, the lying us into the, the war in Iraq or the, the mushroom cloud line. So there's really fascinating moments when politicians are honest. Doesn't happen very often, but there's a few. There was this one moment that I recommend people go check out where Chuck Todd was on Rachel. I'm sorry, not Chuck Todd. Um, uh, Chuck Schumer was on Rachel Maddow's show and there he's going through his, this is right before Trump got into office. It was, uh, uh when he was president elect January, 2017. And they're, they're going, he's going through his rehearsed, you know, scripted political talking points. You know, you can't be president by tweet and blah, 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 blah. And then Rachel Maddow goes off script and she goes, you know, Donald Trump just tweeted this. I hate to put you on the spot, but he just tweeted something and it was criticizing the intelligence agencies. And and Chuck Schumer has an honest moment and he goes, wow, you know, I mean, if he's going to criticize the intelligence agencies, let me tell you, they have six ways till Sunday to screw you over. And that basically describes the entire Trump presidency and take it right there from the, the top Democrat in the Senate. And the other moment that I wanted to just mention quickly, which I played on my podcast the other day, was very recently uh, Nancy Pelosi was being asked about the impeachment of Donald Trump. And she said 
Um, someone asked her, well, why didn't you impeach George W. Bush, but you are impeaching Donald Trump? So Nancy Pelosi starts talking and she's trying to prove how obviously this impeachment really means something. And she says, she goes, um, she goes, look, there were a lot of people who, who were pushing me to impeach George W. Bush. And let me tell you something. I was on the intelligence committee, so I saw the intelligence. I knew Iraq didn't have weapons of mass destruction and they were lying to the people. But, you know, I didn't think it was the right time. Blah, blah. But the point she's trying to make is like, I didn't even impeach that guy. So, you know, when I impeach, it really means this is a worthwhile impeachment. But of course, what she just said without thinking about it is that lying us into war this mushroom clad business was all lies and lying us into a war where hundreds of thousands are killed, millions are displaced, trillions are spent and thousands of our own, uh, uh, you know, the bravest men in our society are just, you know, either wounded or killed. They they that's not impeachable. But yet this this if a CIA agent decides to be a whistleblower, that is an impeachable offense. And I think that tells you everything you need to know. Well, she was on the intelligence committee, which meant she knew what the intelligence uh, agencies could do to you if they didn't like you so much. And that that really is the political education that people with, you know, one squinty eye on the process are getting as the result of, of Trump getting in. Because, you know, there's a lot that he's done that is positive. There's some he's done that is negative. But certainly, you know, as far as tackling immigration, as far as getting the wall done and all that, He's just fighting back against such a relentless series of attacks that people, I think, are getting a real sense of why things hadn't changed before. You know, yeah. this guy who gave up billions of dollars and a huge amount of peace of mind and a graceful end to a long career to go and battle the deep state and try and get the will of the people imposed. Boy, are people ever getting an education on what it's like to try and change a system that's dedicated to its own survival and, perp uh, and perpetuation rather than serving any needs of the people. Yeah. And I think he might be getting an education on it, too. I mean, I think Donald Trump, you know, I think he did. I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't presume to think that he didn't understand how daunting this undertaking was. But I've seen certain, um, you know, press conferences of his where it seems like even he can't quite believe that they'd come at him with some of the stuff that they're coming at him with, like that, that he didn't quite realize what it was going to look like, you know, when you say drain the swamp and, you know, you oppose the empire and and Donald Trump, like, let's not forget as a candidate, it's not just he, he didn't just like kind of hint at going in the right direction. You know what I was talking about before with Barack Obama and John Brennan committing treason, the treason, like they should be tried and locked up for the rest of their life for arming hostile enemies of the United States of America, some of the only legitimate enemies that we have. I mean, if, 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 if there's any group that you'd be like, okay, well, that's fair to say a legitimate enemy of the American people, it's Al Qaeda. I mean, that's the one. And they sided with them. Well, Donald Trump in the campaign said, and I know you remember this, he said, they asked him about ISIS and he said, Obama and Hillary Clinton created ISIS. And then they asked him to walk that back because there's no way you could possibly mean that. And he said, I meant exactly what I said. They created ISIS. Now, that was a, a shot to the deep state that it's like, we're at war. And they took that seriously. And that's why everything from the Russia investigation, the Mueller investigation, and this impeachment, that's that's what this is all about. Um, and, and I am somewhat sympathetic to Donald Trump, even though he's done a lot of things that I think are very bad, um, that he did all the good people who he put around him were systematically removed. 
I mean, he did come in with some people. He came in with with Michael Flynn, who was good on Syria. He came in with Bannon, who was good on Syria. KT McFarlane was even good on Syria. And they're all gone. I mean, they all got one by one systematically removed. And now he's got people around him who are are leading him into this disaster. Well, and where you take your half scraps of good news where you can, um, assault is, is better than murder. And, you know, half starving is better than fully starving and drone strikes are better than ground wars. And I, I do see him as kind of holding back this tide of bloodlust that everybody else was just surfing and benefiting from in the past. I think he is kind of doing that uh, none shall pass Gandalf moment on the bridge with the demon of war uh, circling and trying to get past. And, you know, that's that's a tough thing. And it's almost like, you you know, like you you let out a little bit of blood to save to save the body so to speak like you get a head injury and they got to cut your brain they got to cut your skull to let your brain expand a little and it's almost like he'll give them this bloodlust vial of blood to the vampire satiation uh, in order to ward off something worse now of course everybody who's a purist and i'm as an abstract guy i'm definitely a purist but you know i you got to wade into the muck <laughs> to some degree if you want to have uh, if you want to deal with real world events i think he's giving them their taste without giving them the whole meal and hoping that uh, that's uh, going to satisfy them for the time being and um that is uh, probably about as noble a thing as he can get at the moment yeah, and and you have to think with with the Trump presidency, you have to look at what we've gotten, what we've gained from it, and and it's nothing to laugh at, and and it's not has nothing really to do with policy. I mean, there's been a few policies that were good, you know, like I I like some of the deregulation in the energy sector was very very important, and I think that the corporate tax cuts I would have liked to see steeper individual tax cuts, but you know they were good, better than what we had, and there's there's been some some good. But the real the real benefit of Trump being president was that um, he has exposed the corporate press in a way that nobody else um, in our lifetime ever has. He has he has popularized the idea that there is a deep state. He's kind of drawn them out of the shadows where they always operated. We've never seen, or, or you know, a president at war with the deep state like this before. I mean, so maybe Kennedy or something like that, but not, you know, not in, in you know, today's day. Um, and so that in itself can, and, and he has, so as Tucker Carlson has pointed out, Donald Trump has started many of the most important conversations. He's asking, why Why are we in these wars? Why are we in NATO? What's the point of all of this? Why shouldn't we be friendly with Russia? Um, you know, really, really important questions. But I just, I think, you know, it goes back to the point that you've been making since the very beginning of uh, Free Domain Radio, which is that the idea that you're going to infiltrate the mafia and turn it into a human rights organization is it's going to be really, really tough to do that. And it's, you know, even as you see, it's the whole system is it doesn't even matter how many good people you elect. Uh, Donald Trump will try to, you know, uh, try to pass a fraction of his his immigration policy. It gets sh- struck down by the courts. He just murdered a high-level member of of a foreign government without congressional approval, no one's given him any, like there's no legal pushback on that. 
But if he tries to implement any of his policy that he was elected for, that will be struck down in the courts or it'll be a battle for years. Believe me, that the eminent domain issues will be tied up in courts forever if he tries to, you know, actually complete building the wall. It's just an unworkable system for if you're from the perspective that what we're looking for here is limited uh, is limited government or no government or liberty in any sense. That's not what it's there for. Well, let's 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 close off with well, well said. Let's close off with incentives because I've really been sort of Rubik's cubing this in my brain over the last little while. Just this horrible concentration of incentives for war. Obviously, the state uh, loves the war. Military industrial complex loves the war. A lot of soldiers, of course, they didn't deploy in order to play Nintendo and do some knitting. But um, the media, of course, uh, it really struck me in 1953 when. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt's grandson, Kermit Kennedy, uh, Kermit uh, Roosevelt. Uh, the first thing he did when he wanted to overthrow the uh, elected or, or the legitimate head of the uh, Iranian government was he began to work with the press. He bribed the press. He got the press to start running all of this material. And the press, of course, the the media, we've got Donald Trump, who got in, I think, a large degree because of social media, opposing the deep state opposing the media, fake news and all that, at the same time as you have alternative media or the unbought, unpaid for media, the independent media, deconstructing the propaganda in real time. So when the New York Times refers to a terrorist as an austere religious scholar, when they start defending the guy who was just uh, drone struck uh, and all that, who was a terrible guy, no question. That to me is really fascinating that you have people who finally do represent the will of the people, which is the unbought, non-corporate media. At the same time as you have somebody in the White House, it's like the battle of the high and the low combined against the middle, that you have those without power but who have some voice. You have those with power but who are opposed by the powerful. And then you have the media in the middle trying to tip the balance towards the deep state and towards the empire and towards war. And then you have those of us desperate on the fringes to keep these wolves from the sheep uh, as best we can. It's a really powerful mix of incentives. And we have like wing integrity and a prayer, you know, facing this shaky deplatforming issue at every turn. The media and the profit that they make off war and this relentless drive that they have to just deconstruct everything decent around the West, that to me is where the real battle still lives. It's not even so much in politics. I think the real battle is in media. And that's uh, something I'm very honored to be a part of. I know you are as well. How do you think that's going to play out? And what would you say to other media creators out there, you know, on the edges of the solar system, so to speak, who are trying to make themselves heard in this battle? Well, it's a it's a tough situation. And it's it's, you know, in hindsight, uh, you know, it's not really that shocking that you see all of this big tech uh, censorship and, and then the the really nefarious kind of like it's one thing when they just kind of ban people or deplatform them. But then there's the stuff that I know you've been dealing with that that a lot of good people have been dealing with, where it's just kind of like, oh, all of a sudden your numbers just kind of freeze or all of a sudden you're just kind of pushed down in the search. And, and all, I must you know, be getting bad at this. <laughs> you know, somehow you have like, you know, your your subscribers either freeze or your subscribers are going up, but your view counts go down. Like these things that obviously don't make sense. And, you know, like you, people search for you and can't find you. They don't recommend your your stuff, that, even though they've searched for you a lot. It's, it's um you know, but if, if you look back at it, it's like, well, yeah, this was the, uh, the elite's Achilles heel, that they all lost their gatekeeper status to who was allowed in the conversation and who wasn't. So, of course, they're going to go after that. I mean, this is, look, look, 
you got to understand what we're up against. And as, as you were getting at before, this is no joke. These are, these are people who are making, you know, there's hundreds of billions of dollars involved in the industry of killing children. So what do you know about these people? You know that they're willing to kill children and they're making hundreds of billions of dollars. What do you think they're going to do if that's challenged? They're not going to hesitate to fight back. I mean, that's, and, and that's what's going on. And I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know what the, the answer is. I know it's definitely not given the government, you know, control over, over what's being said. Is it, is there an argument that there, there should be rules against, you know, people being allowed to be banned possibly, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what the answer is. What I've found is you have to try to have as many, you know, have your stuff on as many platforms as you can try to start your own thing in, in any way that you can. But of course the incentives, as you mentioned before, the incentives are all to find a way to shut all of this down. And they're doing a decent job of that. You know, these guys are good. There's a reason why they've been winning all this time and, and we haven't. These guys are good. I mean, you look at that, just to your point on incentives, you look at meet the press and it's like uh, it's meet the press on, on NBC News, the longest running show in, on, in, on television, I believe. And they're like uh, brought to you by Boeing. <laughs> you, know, like, right. you think a lot of meet the press viewers are in the market for a 747 or, or a fighter jet or something it's like no they're cutting a check to meet the press and now we're going to hear from nbc news analyst john brennan you know right, right. and he's going to tell you how the cia is doing everything great and that's you know this is this is the game and i, I don't know i just Keep speaking the truth to as many people as you can. That's all I'm trying to do. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, quick shout out as well. If you want to tell people where to find you uh, on the Internet and how to consume your excellent material, and in particular, a Twitter account, because it's really, really lit. Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, on Twitter, it's at uh, Comic Dave Smith um, and uh, GasDigitalNetwork.com. You get all, all my stuff there. That's kind of our platform that we're uh we're trying to, uh, you know, do our own thing and and prevent against the the coming uh, bannings, so the next round of them. And uh, it's just always always an honor to be to be on your show, Stefan. I've I've like I've said I say almost every time I'm here, but I've personally gained so much from from all the work you do. So it's really it's really an honor to be here. My pleasure, a great pleasure to chat with you. We'll do it again soon. Happy New Year, and uh, you know, give a kiss to your baby. And uh, thanks again for your time today. Awesome.